Hi everyone, welcome back to Frontiers of the Future with Anika and Olivia, where we talk about technology, society, and everything in between. This week's episode is on genomic medicine. Defined by the National Human Genome Research Institute, genomic medicine is an emerging medical discipline that involves using genomic information about an individual as part of their clinical care. In this podcast, we're going to specifically discuss the various implications that genomic medicine has on cancer treatment and research, analyzing it through the Scott Social Construction of Technology model. This model challenges the idea that technological innovation occurs in a linear manner and explores a more multidimensional approach by analyzing the various social groups that the technology is relevant to, dissecting how each group interacts with the technology and how that interaction creates different interpretations of the technology. This lens also takes into account that eventually there is usually one agreed upon interpretation of the technology. For example, we all have a similar idea about what a bike is, even if there may be some variation in the details of what this looks like. Right, and this agreed upon interpretation comes about through the process of stabilization and closure, where the concept of the technology stabilizes by being consistently associated with specific features and then eventually reaches closure, which is when this one agreed upon interpretation is reached. The general premise of genomic medicine as we understand it today is essentially that it encompasses the use of genetic material to create personalized care plans tailored to specific people. So knowing your specific genes may put you at higher or lower risk of certain cancers or let you know that you have a higher or lower tolerance of certain drugs? Correct. In fact, genetic information does not only give doctors an idea about the medical traits that you likely possess, but can also be used to create the treatment itself. In fact, this was the case with Judy Perkins, whose severe breast cancer was cured by genomically sequencing her tumor. Doctors identified mutations present in this tumor and were also able to locate some of Perkins' lymphocytes, which are white blood cells, that targeted four of these mutations. Doctors then isolated some of these lymphocytes, allowing them to replicate in cultures, and injected them back into her body. At the same time, Perkins was taking a drug that amplified the effects of these lymphocytes. Perkins experienced intense and painful side effects as a result of this drug, but it was ultimately successful. Perkins' case serves as an example of how the relevant social group of cancer patients interact with this genomic medicine. Their primary interest in genomic medicine is to find a treatment method that will improve their well-being and chances of living in a manner that is more effective and less intensive than current treatments such as chemotherapy and radiation. These are their primary goals because much of the cancer treatment that exists today is a risky endeavor. Patients who choose to undergo treatment such as chemotherapy may endure months of pain and fatigue, only to have their cancer come back in a few months or years. Much of cancer treatment today is not so much aimed at curing a patient, but rather at extending their life. Therefore, cancer patients such as Judy Perkins interpret genomic medicine as a chance for them to continue living a normal, healthy, cancer-free life. While the ultimate patient goal of being cured was fulfilled for Perkins, other patient objectives such as a reduced pain treatment were not necessarily fulfilled. So how do doctors treating cancer interpret genomic medicine differently from cancer patients? We have to keep in mind that the goals of doctors are different from those of patients. While doctors also want their patients to live healthy, cancer-free lives, they want to develop treatments that will cure as many patients as efficiently and effectively as possible. The ultimate goal of a doctor is to find a cure to cancer and to successfully implement it as a treatment for all their patients. I would say that doctors are more interested in the long-term picture of societally curing cancer, while patients are more interested in personally getting well in the present moment. 
In the case of Judy Perkins, while Perkins's problem had been solved by genomic medicine, Perkins's case did not completely solve the problem that doctors hoped to address of treating all cancer patients using genomic medicine. The specific type of treatment that was used for Perkins's case was used for 45 patients, but only successful in seven, and Perkins was the only successful breast cancer patient among these. Understanding how and why Perkins's case was successful would help more patients benefit in the future, as well as help doctors to compare the effects of Perkins's version of the genomic medicine versus other genomic treatment methods. Not only can genomic medicine be used to amplify the effects of a body's natural defenses against cancer, but performing genomic sequencing on a patient's tumors can also help doctors to prescribe drugs that will target a patient's specific mutations. For example, some forms of leukemia are caused by a specific chromosomal rearrangement that can be inhibited by a drug called Gleevec. This drug inhibits the overactivity of a specific type of tyrosine kinase protein that leads to this rearrangement. Right, and this type of treatment is known as targeted treatment because it targets particular mutations. Because of this, genomic research does not just contribute to new treatment methods, but also helps us to classify cancers within more accurate subcategories. This is important from the perspective of doctors because identifying more specific cancer classifications allows doctors to understand why a cancer, such as breast cancer, is not a one-size-fits-all treatment and why a certain drug may be effective for certain breast cancer patients but not others. Another relevant social group in the field of genomic medicine is the healthcare industry as a whole. Like in the case of doctors, one of the goals of the healthcare industry is to treat as many patients as possible in the most effective manner. However, the healthcare industry also interprets genomic medicine as a way to make a profit and to market successful genomic treatments and medicines. While the healthcare industry's stake in genomic medicine may be profit-motivated and less invested in patient wellness than patients and doctors, it is still in the interest of the industry to develop and market drugs that treat patients effectively with minimal side effects so that patients and doctors buy into these treatments. During her treatment, Perkins was on a drug called interleukin, whose commercial name is proleukin, which was used to boost the effect of the lymphocytes that were infused into Perkins' body. While the coupling of lymphocyte infusion and proleukin worked for Perkins, the fact that this treatment was only effective for 7 out of 45 patients does not necessarily make the drug successful enough to be highly marketable. Additionally, Perkins experienced severe flu-like side effects while on proleukin, so this also reduces the drug's marketability. This may prompt the company owning Proleukin, which is Clinogen, to conduct additional research to improve the effectivity of Proleukin and may also prompt other pharmaceutical companies to develop different drugs that more effectively treat patients who have had lymphocytes infused. However, it sounds like Perkins' case contributes positively to the healthcare industry's goal of making a profit because her case gives credibility to the notion that genomic medicine can be used to cure cancer, and thus Perkins' success story may make patients and doctors more likely to buy into genomic medicine and experimental drugs in genomic medicine. For sure. On that note, if the healthcare industry is indeed successful in marketing genomic medicine, its widespread adoption requires an upheaval of current medical infrastructure, which in turn requires an investment in commercial software and information technology to hold the data of patients. However, this raises its own problems and also leads us into some of the dangers of genomic cancer technology, as well as of genomic medicine in general. Doctors must genetically sequence a patient's DNA in order to create a personalized cancer treatment for them, and this data must go somewhere. Hospitals often use a cloud-like storage to house the pentabytes of genomic information that they receive, but there is no real guarantee as to its safety. 
This privacy concern can also be broadly applied to genomic medicine as a whole. Our genetic information is extremely private and valuable, and although handing it over to the healthcare industry might help us in the short term to treat our ailments and diseases, once that information is given over, it cannot be taken back. The information might be used by health insurance companies to drive up premiums and the prices patients have to pay based on family genealogy. However, geneticists are working with cryptographers to create an algorithm that can identify harmful mutations present in a patient's genes without actually revealing this patient's genome to doctors and healthcare companies. That way, patients' genetic data can be used without risk of exploitation. That may be true, but algorithms such as the one you mentioned are a long way away from being perfected, and until they are implemented on a large scale, patients will be vulnerable to commercial exploitation of their genetic data. Good point. These systems may take a while to become normal. Now that we've talked a bit about the relevant social groups and how each of them interact with genomic cancer medicine through interpretive flexibility, what happens next? Are we close to reaching closer? The truth is, genomic medicine is a very nascent field, still waiting to be molded. Each different group we mentioned probably has a different view of what the, that mold should look like, with the healthcare industry possibly focusing more on the actual infrastructure and sequencing portion of genomic medicine, and the patient or doctor side focusing more on the actual treatment and ensuring everyone can get a personalized cancer treatment. Additionally, genomic cancer medicine is currently operating on a small scale in controlled experiments and trials. It is important to ask what such a powerful technology would look like rolled out to the entire country and general public. Who would be able to afford such a technology? Would it be only for the rich? Or might the cost be driven down enough so that everyone has access? Who might be included and excluded from this technology? These are all questions and concerns we cannot move into the future without, and it will be incredibly interesting to see how the field of genomic medicine responds to these concerns.